we've got to care for the people and, and make it work. And I think my, my dad and my uncle did that great. I, I, my grandfather, he also did that very, very well. And um, I just want to carry on that, that tradition. You're listening to Toolbox of the Trades, brought to you by Service Titan, a podcast for top service professionals where we interview leaders for their best tips and tricks of the trades. Learn how industry trailblazers stay ahead of the competition and how you too can be at the forefront of an industry. Let's jump in. Hello, contractors, and welcome to the Toolbox for the Trades. Today, I'm speaking with Rob Burney, the president of Thomas R. Burney & Sons in Hamilton, Ontario. Like many of the folks on this podcast, Rob was born in the trades and joined the business full-time as a young adult. We spoke about the steps his father and uncle took to prep Rob for his leadership role, the lessons he learned along the way, and what it takes to implement new systems and processes at an almost 100-year-old business. Rob was a delight to chat with, and I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Rob Burney, president of Thomas R. Burney and Sons. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. (laughs) I am very happy for you to be here as well. You are one of our very adored and lovely Canadian customers here at Service Titan. I know. Did you like how I was searching for that adjective to describe you? I adore you. Yeah, that was great, eh? (laughs) Um, Tell tell us, um, how did you get into the trades? So we are a family business. So I was literally born into the trades, um, <laughs> quite quite literally. I think you know the first thing they put me in was a was a onesie with our company logo on it. So um, to be quite honest with you, uh, it was just something I did. It, like we just you know evenings, weekends, days. Like you know, my dad, my uncle worked, my grandfather, uh, my great grandfather. It's just stuff we did. So um, you know, it was just a natural progression to kind of keep following. Got it. So you grew up in the office on trucks, visiting jobs, all that kind of stuff. Mostly on trucks. You know, I go with my dad. He get he get called out at night. Of course, you know, I was in school during the day. So if he was on call at nighttime, he got a call. We had a sewer, you know, to go clean or whatever. Off we went together. I pushed down the handle of the machine. He did the work, and that's how that's how we did it. So. You know anything that that uh, he he loved to take me with him. My brother not so much. Uh, my brother does something completely different. But uh, for me, I enjoy doing it. So uh, that's that's how I got into it. Nice. And w- at what age did you stop just pressing the button and you started actually getting your hands dirty? <laughs> I'm gonna say probably uh, 16 uh, is when like they allowed me to 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 actually do something. Prior to that, uh, I wanted to do it. Um, they were always beating me away. Don't, don't, don't. Because uh, I was kind of probably the, the annoying guy on, on the site. I just wanted to do whatever I could. But uh, yeah, 16, 17, get your driver's license. Okay, off you go. You know, let's put what you, put what you learn into action. So yeah. That's awesome. Very cool. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Thomas Arberni and Sons? Uh, what kind of business do you guys do? How many techs and locations do you have? Sure. We are located in Hamilton, Ontario, which is just about 45 minutes away from Niagara Falls. So we've got the, you know, that's part of our service area, actually. And uh, we have about 15 guys that uh, does that do our services, which is includes sewer drain cleaning, uh, plumbing. We do excavations, liners, uh, sewer bursting. Pretty much if it's underground or have anything to do with plumbing, we do it. We don't do remodeling. But we do pretty much everything else. The business was started by my great-grandfather. 
The earliest I can find is 1922. In uh, the, the earliest permit I have from the city of Hamilton is uh, February of 1922. So we're coming up on 100 years. It's really cool. I've got a permit that is signed by him. I also have a permit that's signed by my great great grandfather. So uh, William Burton. And so we have William and John, and then my grandfather was Thomas. He put it into his name in 1946. My uncle came in in 68. My dad came in in 71, I believe. I started coming in kind of part-time in 94, 95, and then I came in full-time in 97, and uh, it's been going ever since. So I had a lot of, a lot of time in the, uh, in the stinky business. When you came in full-time in 97, were you coming in as a field tech and worked your way up to president? How did that, pro- that career progression look like for you? Yeah, so um, it actually, surprisingly, first when I came in, they wanted me to, to do some marketing. I had done weekends and I'd done evening stuff, um, but for whatever reason, they wanted me to do some marketing. And so uh, I reached out, we, we were just getting into this lining bit and uh, I'd reached, uh, they wanted me to reach out to other plumbers to let other plumbers know we were doing lining because it was brand new. And so uh, I reached out to plumbers, but they also had me reach out to like restaurants, hair salons, all these different places that have constant backups to let them know that we could help them. And uh, so that's actually what I ended up coming in and doing for the first six months and uh, trying to get, you know, raise awareness about what we do. And it went really, really great. And then just after that, we started the progression into going into excavations first, water lines, weeping tiles, sewer repairs, you know, in the hole making sure that I understood that aspect of the business, then the progression to service plumbing and sewer and drain cleaning. Then from there, it went to, you know, doing the sales aspect, estimating. Then they had me do some accounting. Like they brought me through the whole way. So I am a plumber, but, you know, I don't have an MBA. I don't have a, uh, you know, a degree in business, but they brought me through every progression of the company just so I could kind of get a handle on, either get a handle on what was going on or, or annoy everybody who sat in that position. One of the two, one of the two. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I, well, I, I don't think you need an MBA to run a plumbing business at all. I actually am of the maybe more controversial mindset that you don't need an MBA at all in business. There's actually a book I recommend all the time called The Personal MBA by Josh Kaufman, which really goes on to all the areas of business that you learn through an MBA. But I love that model that your family took you through, which was let's put him in every position for six months, a year, make sure he knows it, because it sounds like your dad really much had the vision that you were going to inherit the business. Is that right? Yeah, I think there was always a question. Um, he kept me, like, if you had asked me in 97, I would have wanted to run the business then. And he and I used to have these, we, we would butt heads over that kind of stuff. And and I remember him telling me, you know, Rob, if I gave you the business now, I'd have nobody working for me. And uh, we had, you know, we had, because I was, you know, quite driven. And so, um, so you know, he's like, you need to learn this stuff. So yeah, he, and and he had the the foresight to be able to say, listen, you need like, I'm like, why do I need to become a plumber? Like, I, I want to. And he's like, no. He's like, if you're gonna do this, this is a part of what you need to do. And so I did. I did the five year apprenticeship program uh, here in Ontario, and uh, and became. And I'm so glad I did. I, you know, I'm so glad they had the wisdom to say, okay, you need to do a little bit of this. You need to do a little bit of that. They always knew that wherever they put me, I was going to try and do it as best as I could or learn as much as I could about it. But uh, it was really nice to be able to navigate my way through. So I kind of, I'm able to 
talk to people. Like I sat in a CSR role. They had me doing CSR. I've, I've, the, you know, the lady who taught me accounting is still with us. You know, she, she started in 95 and she's still here today. And so we have a great relationship and, and I understand kind of the struggle, the struggles that the guys, I know, I know I've been a service tech. I get it. I, I, I understand. And so it was really good. It was very helpful at the time. You're like, why can't I just go from here to here? But, um, but you really do need that, that progression to, to have a good understanding of, of what's going on. At least I did. I agree with you because I think also if you're able to sit in all those roles, you're able to see how things connect to one another and maybe communicate the why behind, hey, this is why this needs to get done. We need to be able to fill out forms this way so this way accounting has this information and things can move smoothly. It kind of gives you really an idea of what are the challenges each of this ro- these roles have and why do we have to keep doing them even though they may seem tedious or whatever. I think it just would give you a really great bird's eye view of like how the business looks at like a 30,000 foot view, like how everything is connected. It's true. Uh, and you do. And, and the other thing you can see is, you know, when we get into our jobs, right, uh, we're not by nature, I, there's not a lot of people as a whole that continue to like grow and learn new things. And continue, like we get into our jobs, we get into the way of doing things. So not only can you see it from a 30,000 foot view to see how it's all connected. And that's really important for me because I'm, I'm a linear learner. I like one to 10. I, I don't like, you know, one, 10, three, seven. I don't like that. So I needed to see it, how it connected from beginning to end. But the other thing it allowed me to do is the things that I started uh, that I did learn in school, the things that I, you know, as it related to computers, you know, like um, we were paper and pencil. My grandfather started a computer system in 1984 just to collect data on job addresses that we did. But we were paper and pencil right up to 2006 when it came to our dispatching. So, you know, it, it allowed not only me to be able to see how the process works, but it also allowed me to see, okay, how can we best implement systems and and, uh, newer technology for internal situations that will make us more efficient and make people's lives hopefully a lot easier. And that, to be honest with you, was was a huge, a huge thing to be able to do that and see and know, hey, you know what, we got to, we can try this and, and make it work. I just had a thought that you really, having been grown, growing up in this business, being part of a hundred-year-old business, you really have seen the impact technology has had in the trades in just the last couple of decades. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. My dad got his first camera, sewer camera. It was a Q sewer camera in 1993, and he was so excited, and he'd bring it in, and we'd put, and we'd watch these videos at supper, and it was really kind of gross, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> um, you know, like you, you, we got our first camera, we got our first Jetter in in '93. Uh, um, our first locator, my grandfather, my grandfather passed in 2000, but he was able to see the locating ability, and he called us lazy. My grandfather used to witch, so he'd get a you know he'd get a, a stick and he'd walk over with where the water was. But you know, I have a locator that tells me how far out, how deep down, where it is. You know, he just looked at me, and goes, "You're lazy," and. Uh, you know, he was the first one to bring the electric sewer machine into into Hamilton. Uh, there was no electric sewer machine, so we've seen the progression of of the trade. You know, from this, you know, just one electric sewer machine to, you know, all the different things that we've been able to do, and not just in the field, but also like as it relates with Service Titan. And and man, like 
So now I'll, I'll tell you that my dad says sometimes it was just easier with a piece of paper and you write down the name and the address and you know, like he's, he's 68, right? So uh, he's like, oh, Rob, but, but yeah, like all the things that are at our fingertips now, it's been, I, I love the generation that, that I've been able to grow up in. I've loved being able to connect. You know, at one time in our, our business, I had somebody here who was, you know, from 1946, that's when they were born. I also had somebody born in 1999 we had this amazing generational gap uh, that that we've been able to connect. I, I had to connect, you know, the, the guys who have been here from the 80s and 90s, and I had to connect the new people coming in, and we we had to bridge this gap of, you know, hey, these people love technology, and these people hate technology, but these people have amazing customer service skills, and these people need to, you know, we need to. So it's been it's been challenging, but it's been a blessing. It's been great. It's been really good. That's so awesome. So speaking of systems, right, I imagine inheriting a hundred-year-old business comes with inheriting a lot of old, outdated systems and processes. So tell me about the changes you wanted to make when you took over the company, and how did you go about making them? Uh, yes, you are, you are true. You are, uh, yeah. My dad and my uncle, I, I, they had the foresight to reach out to Frank Blau in like 1991-ish. And um, we got involved with Contractors 2000. So as it relates to, you know, delivering customer service, I really felt that we did a pretty fantastic job. That, those were some of the areas that we were really strong at. Some of the areas that we were weaker at, of course, like I said, you know, in 2006, we're still paper and pencil. There were some things we needed to enhance. And, the, you know, I say enhance because improvement may indicate there's something wrong keep the foundation of great reputation and quality work. And, you know, we stand behind what we do. And I think we've done that really great. I think we've continued that. But yeah, we needed to enhance some of the processes that we had. Um, and like I said, um, you know, technology as it relates to Service Titan, you, you, you're now, I brought in, <laughs> I brought in Blackberries, crying out loud, like, you know, our team was just getting used to cell phones. And I'm like, okay, now we're gonna do Blackberries. And people are like, yeah, no. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's going to be great. So we we did that. Um, provincial regulations. See, no, it's kind of like state regulations. Nobody from the province comes in and tells you all the areas where you're going wrong unless you invite them, and nobody invites them to do that. So I got in and I started looking at things. And I was like, oh man, we are like we're like a decade behind here uh, in some of the areas that we need to fix. And so we needed to do that. And you know, with anything, change change is inevitable, except from a vending machine. So, um, and it's difficult, you know, uh, it's intensely personal. So um, there were challenges to say the least, but, uh, but we made it through, we're, we're continuing and, uh, and I'm very happy with this, uh, you know, the way things, the way things went along for sure. Awesome. Uh, by the way, thank you for unlocking the BlackBerry memory for me, uh, BBM and Brick Breaker, my friend. Oh my right? gosh, so fun. That's, oh my goodness, that's fun. fantastic. Also, when you say the provincial regulations, are you talking more about HR, more uh, workers' comp, that kind of stuff? Yeah, we were always really good with workers' comp. Workers' comp was very, uh, they worked with us, but HR, um, basically knowing and understanding all the laws, um, that was huge. Um, that, that really probably was my biggest surprise of taking over the organization and just kind of you know, looking at what we needed to do and, and to be in compliance, that was a big game changer. A lot of our 
a lot of our direction came out of uh, out of Nexstar, and and they have some great direction. However, in Canada, we're completely um, you know we're not employers at will. Okay, we everything is contractual with us. So these are things that we did not know. And there's two types of laws. There's uh, you know ES, ESA law and and common law, and there are two different laws in in our province. So um, it was a it was an interesting time to say the least. I learned a lot. I learned. Uh, I wish I had learned a little earlier, but hey, it's all good. And uh, we slowly and and just some changes I made too quickly, I think, you know, but I learned, um, you know, I, I learned, I, I again, I thought the process would be straight and it wasn't like it. It's been all over the map. It zigzagged all over the place for me. So um, it was challenging, but we're there. You mentioned before that you really like linear learning. I'm very much of the same mindset too. I much prefer to do a linear, nice, steady increase, you know, in challenges, but it's never like that in actual real world, right? You're constantly zigzagging, going from like a small problem to a giant problem and pivoting and all that stuff. I imagine that you got some resistance from some of these new initiatives that you were trying to implement when you first came into a leadership role. How did you overcome those resistances? Yeah, so um, I got a business coach. My business coach name was Jim Hamilton. Jim was great. He'd been my coach. He's been my coach for ten years, and uh, he he basically told me, he says, Rob, with all the changes that you're going to make, that you need to make for this company to stay viable going into the future, he says it's going to come with. He's like it's going to come with resistance, and he says if you manage to make all these changes, and you keep everybody employed. It's either a sheer miracle or a sign of your bad management. He's like, that, that's honestly where it's going to be. He's like, I just, now you got to, I'm like 29 turning 30. Okay. Like I'm not, I'm, and so, and I'm the boss's son. So you put that on top and the team that you're basically um, coming into as a leader, you haven't been their leader. They've kind of watched you from, young all the way up so now you're coming in at a situation you're the boss's son you want to make these changes you you know you you're not the guy who hired them they're really you know they don't look to you as their team leader anything that i could get done any role that i got put into that i could do myself that was really like i could do it like you know give me anything i'll just do it what i learned was trying to lead a team of people that necessarily don't necessarily want to be led by you that's really challenging like trying to get things done through others thing is you can't get anything done by like you need everybody you need everybody i didn't always have that mindset my mindset is like well i can, I can get it done like anything they gave me i'll do so yeah that was really challenging and we had some people that were like not nah, this isn't for me i'm out of here and um and then we have people who stuck it out and uh, they're still with us. Like I mentioned, Susan, she, you know, we've got Chad, we've got Robert, we have Jeff, like they, they stuck it out for a long time with us. So, um, so I'm really grateful and thankful to those who kind of, you know, said, hey, yeah, I'll come along with you. And those who didn't, I understand, I get it. It's a different system. I'm a different person. I'm totally different than my dad and my uncle. My, my personality is a little different. And, uh, and so it was a real culture shock for everyone, I think. Um, I don't know how you make a transition from from that uh, without it being some form of shakeup. To be quite honest with you, but um, but it, it went. We're still going, and um, and I learned a lot. And I learned 
some things I would do again, some things I would do differently, uh, but I'm grateful for the journey for sure. Totally. I mean, 29 to 30, that's a little bit, it's like a year or two younger than I am now, but I can't imagine coming into that role still very young and I'm the boss's son and I'm taking this over and I've got some really great ideas. Let's get this done. Yeah. It's like, I think your coach was great in just prepping you for like, Hey, there's going to be some real rocky roads ahead. If you keep everyone, it's going to be a miracle. And I think the yeah. longer I'm in my career, the longer I realize, yeah, with change comes people leaving, people coming, going, all of that stuff. But it's still hard, it's still really hard. And there's really no easy hack or trick to get over that discomfort. There's not. You, you, always, you always question yourself uh, when people leave, you know, and did I do the right thing? The other challenge, too, is that my personality, my makeup of personality is more of a it's metric driven. I've always been metric driven. And, and so you top that, you know, and I'm, a, I'm an instruction, like I, I, I am, I'm a guy who reads instructions. Okay. Uh, I do. I, if something comes with an instruction, I'll pull it out. I'll read every step of the way. I will put things together. You probably ask for directions too. <laughs> uh, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Cause because, and I know uh, I've talked to you a little bit before about the color code. I'm a red. I want to get from A to B in the most efficient, effective way possible. So um, there's no sense in me driving around trying to look for directions when I can ask somebody way smarter than me to, uh, you know, and, and I'm a literalist. So Jim, Jim would say to me, okay, what I'm about to tell you, I don't want you to take like literal verbatim, you know, because I know you will. Uh, well, I'm, I'm talking about a more broad, uh, you know, aspect. Uh, just think about this. So honestly, um, you know, when I came in with that mindset, like I can do this, I can get from A to B, I can, you know, that also had a, a negative effect. Jim set me up great. He let me know that, you know, he let me know what was going to happen. He even kind of was able to help me on who more than likely would probably not be a long-term with us. But um, you do, you look at it and you go, man, am I making the right decision? Like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm making the right decision. And so I would go to my dad and my uncle and they would support me and they would say, no, they would say, this is, you know, one of the things I, we established early on is I said, you know, right now the team members come to you guys and you guys kind of solve the issue. And if this is a leadership change, you are, you know, intent on making and, and committed to, I really would like you to have them come to me so that I can listen and I can learn, I can make my mistakes and all that. And I would like to talk to you guys independently. And if you have an issue, come talk to me and we'll, you know, I'll, I'll listen. And, and, you know, um, it didn't happen a lot. It did happen from time to time. And um, I was very grateful for their support um, to, to say, no, Rob's taking this on and uh, go talk with him. And, and that's what we did. So, but yeah, you, you start to question yourself and you, you, I'm so glad and grateful that, that they didn't just leave. They were still here. And I was able to go and I was going to say, okay, this is what's happening. What do you think? Am I doing this right? Am I not doing this right? Like, what, what would you do differently? Or, or, or you know, hey, I, I, I'm doing this. Um, hold your breath because here we go. So we're going for a ride. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that's the case in a lot of family dynamics within the biz within businesses like this is that you know the older generation usually stays on to some capacity 
but having you set that boundary and set that expectation with your father and your uncle who are passing leadership along to you and saying, hey, please, I know the guides are still coming to you with this stuff, but please direct them to me. If you want this leadership change to happen, they need to see it modeled by you. And it's so important. I, I want to pivot our conversation a bit to the, all of the tools that you use to grow into the leadership role you're in now, because you mentioned a bunch when we first spoke, and one of them was the color code, and you were red. So we've talked about personality tests before on this podcast. A lot of the folks that I interview really recommend them. Can you just tell us a little bit about the color code and how that works, and if you gave it to your whole team, and is this a, uh, an interesting, colorful shorthand you use internally now? What does that look like? Sure. Yeah, we, uh, so I saw the color code when I went to Nexstar. I went to a, a, a meeting up there and um, I didn't understand what it was. Everybody had these circles, these colors around their heads. And I was like, okay. So uh, yeah, I did it. I came home and um, it, was a, it was a really meaningful meeting as well. And I came home and I, I did the color code. It wasn't part of the meeting. It was just something I was like, hey, I'd like to figure this out. So I did it and I, I, I'm actually a red purist which is kind of crazy. I read it and I gave it to my wife and I said, uh, honey, is this, you know, is this me? Like my, my wife and I, we've been together coming up. Uh, we've been married 20 years. We've been together coming up 27 years. And um, so she knows me better than anybody. And uh, I was like, hey, you know, is this me? And she's like, oh yeah, it's totally you. So I took it to our team the biggest, uh, you know, some, some people who I really trust in our organization, uh, some long-term employees, I took it to, to them and I said, is this me? And they said, yeah, yeah, it is you. And um, it took a lot because as a red, you don't want to be, um, you don't want to show vulnerability. Okay, you want to hold your insecurities tightly. And so, uh, but the biggest challenge that I had been uh, having throughout my business uh, ownership tenure is, is relating with people. So I decided I'm going to, I wanted to know a lot about it. So I, I want to become a facilitator of the color code. So I'm like, okay, let's go figure this out. So I got in touch with them. Dr. Taylor Hartman is the gentleman who, who, who designed it. And it's about your motivations. It's not your behavior. Behavior is like a filter. You, you can learn behavior, but it's about your motivations, why you do what you do. Not, not just the behavior you learn, but why is it that you operate? So red is, is uh, they're motivated by power or poter which is basically a Spanish word to move things from A to B in the most efficient, effective way possible. That is who I am. Uh, their, their qualities are vision and leadership. Blue is intimacy, but not in, the, not in the perverted way of intimacy that we might think of today. It's more like deep, meaningful relationships. And their, their qualities that they bring to the table are quality and service. Whites, they bring peace. That's their motivator. They want things peaceful. And their, their attributes are clarity and tolerance. And yellows are fun. My dad is a yellow. And, uh, and so is my daughter. And it's optimism and enthusiasm. And um, so because any color can do any job, we actually don't do the color code with our, uh, with our prospective employees until we've hired them. We don't want any kind of biases on that. We do have everybody in the organization do it when they come in. We all have them on our offices and on our name tags and stuff like that. And and um, and what I've learned is, first of all, I, I learned how people receive me. I would tell you, you know, or I would share with people that I'm being assertive. And they're like, no, you're being aggressive. And I'm like, okay, uh, I get it. Uh, I understand some of the things when I get really, like I'm task dominant when I get really stressed. I don't understand that, but that's just 
who I am. And so what I learned is I learned how I appear to other people and it really helped in my relationships with them, not as an excuse to say, well, I'm red, you have to accept me. No, no, it, it helps me to understand, okay, I'm red, you know, Emily's white. I've got to, I've got to make, you know, our interactions a little different. I'm, I'm red and, and uh, Charlie's blue, you know, so our connections are, are a lot different and it really helped me with all of my relationships. And what I learned as well is typically the, the people who are in the service industry, like actually out in the field, they're, they're, they're blues and yellows. They're blues and yellows. And, and blues and yellows are emotion first, whereas red and whites go to logic first. So what I, my wife is a blue white, blue with white, I should say, blue with white. And uh, so, <laughs> so the relationship between red and blue is blood, sweat and tears. And if you can make it work, it's amazing. But we've had a lot of blood, sweat, and tears days. But what I'm learning and, and growing in is, is that if, if I give her the opportunity to just get those emotions out, you know, and talk and, and let me know what's, what's bugging her, uh, then I earn the right to bring in a little bit more logic. And, um, and it's just been, it's been great. So with me, uh, red purist, I'm almost 70% red. Um, with my disc, I'm a CD. So uh, people can kind of figure that out. I, I've got a, you know, when I first took over the business, I was a D and, you know, most people would tell you that stands for dick. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm also like 98% D. So yeah, I, I've heard that. I made that joke about myself. Uh, haven't, right. haven't done the color code yet, uh, but that all sounds really interesting. Yeah. So it, um, it's just, like I said, it's, it's my, my dad, uh, was a yellow, uh, with red. My uncle Roy, uh, is a white and reds and whites are complementary opposites. And so that's why I think they work so well together as a team. They were brothers. They, they grew up in the same household, but they also had contrasting abilities that really brought an amazing combination to our team. So, um, it's been fun. Hey, contractors, listen to this. Getting a trusted plumber, getting a trusted electrician. Everybody knows it's a nightmare. You don't know what time he's coming. It's inconvenience you. You miss your whole day. The good news? We built Service Titan to help smooth things over. You can track where your technician is and even see who your technician is. Weighing up the options for a couple of companies and one's got all that tech, you're probably more likely to go with the one that's offering that. Convenience and communication. You got that? Hey, you sold me. Service Titan, the number one customer service software for today's contractors. I wonder if, as you were raised as siblings, if you develop the, if you naturally develop the, the traits that your other sibling does not have, like, or you automatically complement it. This is not a psychology podcast, but just a question, an interesting question. Kind of going back to what you were learning as you were coming into this leadership role, you mentioned that you're a big fan of Simon Sinek, particularly his take on profitability and people. And I can, it sounds like as you were first coming in at 30, making these changes, you were really starting to see the impact people have on the business. And can you just tell me how Simon Sinek's talk really kind of brought that home to you? Yeah. So first, how do I, okay. So when I first came in, I was about instructions and, and, and metrics there's just a really, really big, big part that's missing and the people need to buy in. 
And so for the first part of, of the tenure, it was like, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. If we just do this, 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 I mean, I don't understand why nobody gets this. It's really, really simple. Like do this and it's, everything's great. Um, it wasn't until uh, later on in the ownership, I had to go through a lot of different scenarios that, um, that kind of broke that ego down. And, you know, you had to get to the point where you're like, okay, I just, you know, I've tried different things. It's just not working. I've got to, there's some, I got to do something else. So it all kind of culminated around the same time, Simon Sinek, going to this next bar meeting, the color code, it all just kind of started converging all at once. Uh, I was in a time in my life where I was just like, okay, is this, you know, like it's been such a challenge. And, and not only that, there was, there was other factors that caused challenge in the business as well. But um, Simon has this beautiful video and he talks about buying a car. And he says, you know, you're buying a vehicle and, and the, the, the purpose of buying the vehicle is not to put fuel in it. The purpose of buying the vehicle is so you can go experience things. And typically most vehicles have space so you can bring people along. And like when he gave this beautiful picture of, you know, hey, you can go experience, you know, the Rockies, you can experience the beaches, you can experience whatever, but it's beautiful. The reason you bought the vehicle is for the experience, not to put the fuel in it. You need the fuel, the fuel has to be there, but that's not the purpose of what you're doing. And, and um, at that moment, that was like a light bulb moment for me. And then he talked about the profitability of the organization. And he said, listen, if, you know, if it comes to 50-50, where you know, you've got profitability, you got people, he's like, give one more percent to the people. You'll be amazed at what happens. And uh, you, know, you put that together and you're like, yeah, my business is the vehicle. I didn't buy it to put the fuel in it. The fuel needs it to run, but what are we trying to do here? We're trying to, you know, we're trying to bring experiences. That's really what it is. So I was so glad that I was able to learn that. I was so glad that I was open to hearing it when I did. And, uh, you know, when COVID happened, you know, our first take was to connect with everybody. We didn't know it was going to happen. Nobody did. We all, you know, attacked it a little differently. And uh, in our position, we met with everybody and we said, listen, we're going to, we're going to guarantee your wages for a certain period of time because we don't know what's going to happen and uh you know we're going to prioritize our people first and then we're going to prioritize anything you know we're going to provide our prioritize our, our expenses to our you know it was our government that was shutting us down so we're like okay people expenses government they come last <laughs> i might get in trouble for saying that but that's what that's exactly how i laid it out to our team i'm like We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. But we need to prioritize our people. And so we did. And we didn't lose anybody. We did not lose a single person through the uh, through through the pandemic. Uh, you know, uh, we lost like not not to the pandemic. You know, a couple of people moved or whatever moved out of, out of the uh, city completely. But yeah, it, it was just um, it, it was it was that we needed. I needed to know that, and and I would do that again in a heartbeat. You also mentioned when we first spoke that you went to a Keith Mercurio session at Nextar, and the big takeaway was that contribution trumps competition. And that's really the vibe that I'm getting from you. And I just, I think contribution trumps competition is such a nice, succinct way to describe this whole way that you're viewing leadership. And I just want, before we move on to another section, I just want to give you an option to, to respond to that. Yeah, that was a that was a massive turning point. Um, you know, it was called Leadership Mastery, and uh, Keith is amazing. Um, 
Uh, poor guy, I had him out till like three in the morning on his first, the first, very first time I met him. So if he's listening, my apologies, but I, I, I know, I know it gave you great wisdom. Um, <laughs> he, they played a game, and uh, we didn't know the game was being played. We got a little clicker, and uh, you know, you they put a thing up on the wall, and you clicked your answer, and we started playing this game. There's four colors, you know. I was the blue team, and so you know, they put a question up, and you click your clicker, and and then they show the results and blue team wasn't winning and um you know we kept playing it and then they allowed us to play it in a table group and and so on and so forth and then he asked he asked a question about he said you need to ask yourself three questions when you go home tonight he says you need to ask your uh, the first question is what are the rules of the game the second question is what questions should i be asking about the game the third question is how is the way I'm playing the game reflective of the way I play it at home in my business? Hmm. And I was getting angry with the game. I was getting angry with my teammates, to be honest, with, internally. Um, so I, I went back to our hotel, my hotel room that night, and I was like, okay, what are the rules of the game? Like, I don't even know. Like, we, I just started playing. Like, I picked up my clicker, and I'm just like, I'm playing. I can't even tell you the rules. I don't know the rules. What questions should I be asking? Well, when I really thought about that, it took me to a, a scene in Tommy Boy when, <laughs> when, when he's holding a box and he says, you know, like I can take a dump in this box and mark it guaranteed, but all you get is a guaranteed piece of crap. So <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking, well, what questions should I be asking about the game? Like, what am I going to win? Is it a guaranteed piece of crap? Like, I don't even know what I'm playing for. You know, I just started to play. And then, you know, how is the way I'm playing it reflective of the way that I'm playing it at home? Well, I was playing for me and only for me. I wasn't playing for anyone else. And so then that hit me like a ton of bricks. That took me out of my own selfishness and ego and said, hey, I'm playing for the wrong reasons. As the leader, you can't be playing for yourself. But as a leader, your role changes. You know, like Simon says, uh, Simon Sinek says, you know, usually they, they promote the best guy at, who does the job. And now he's, you know, telling you how to do the job that he used to be the best at. They don't really provide him too much leadership training. For me, it was like one of those moments where it was like, man, I have to stop worrying about the metrics. You know, like part of that, another part of that meeting was you don't hear a coach yelling out, you know, on the baseball field, hey, you're at 20, you know, you're 22%, you know, conversion, we need you at 30%, you know, let's go get a hit. You don't coach the metrics, you coach the people, you coach the behavior, and you're not doing it for you, you're doing it to see them succeed. And, and like Maxwell says, if you can, can become a person of significance, success will never measure up after that. That was just, that was a turning point for me. It was a turning point for how I was going to run this business. I came home and I was like, I met with guys. I, I had to get right with a couple of them and it was a big thing. So um, it was, it was very impactful. Yeah. Wow. I'm so happy. Thank you for sharing that. You honestly gave me like a bit of a knock upside the head myself. And I'm just a year or two older than when you were Sounds like when you learned that lesson. So thank you for that. Because I think also we have all of these tools at our fingertips that allow us to say conversion rate, average ticket, all of this stuff. You know, how many callbacks did you get? How many warranty calls? All this stuff. But the metrics only tell so much. Of, like the metrics can only motivate so much. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we don't, yeah. we, as humans are not number. Like we're not numbers. 
You know, like we need something more than just up, oh, you're down two months in a row. How are you going to bring that up? You know what I mean? That is the key. And, and what, what tied it in so beautifully that week. And, and actually, unfortunately I was older. Um, I was, I was almost 40 um, when I got there, but what tied it in so beautiful to me was my son wanted to learn how to play baseball. He, you know, he was only about uh, 13 at the time. And um, that week, just before I went to that meeting, he asked me, he said, Hey dad, can you come out to the baseball diamond with me and pitch me some balls, you know, so I can learn how to hit. And, um, and it just happened. So happened that he used the, the, you know, the, the, the vision of baseball and, and, and the game. And I did. And, and all week, all Sunday afternoon, I was pitching him balls, pitching him balls, pitching him balls. And I was, you know, I was coaching him on the behavior, not the metric. I was coaching him on the behavior to, to help him be, you know, to succeed and be better. And, and, and cause he hadn't hit a ball in a game yet. And so, you know, I'm like, okay, bend your knees, you know, raise your elbow, get the bat up. Don't lean it on your shoulder. Like I'm coaching him on the different behaviors, not the metrics. See, metrics mean a lot to me. I love metrics. You're right. Service Titan tells me every metric I want to know. Cry it out loud. I could get metrics coming out the wazoo. And it's great. Like it's really great. But for someone who's driven like I am for metrics, I really would encourage to... Those need to come second. They, they, they're important, but they need to come second. And by the end of that Sunday afternoon, I, he was hitting balls, like zinging them over my head. Like this kid's a big kid at 13 and I'm throwing him balls. And I mean, they're flying at my face, right? And I'm like, oh man. And, uh, and then I you know, flew out to Minnesota to, uh, to go to the meeting and he had a baseball game and he hit his first, he hit, I wasn't there, unfortunately. I, I miss it, but he hit his first game and he had called me. He's like, dad, I got it. I got it up over second base. I got it on base. I'm like, yeah, right? Because the metric doesn't matter. You know, it, 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 the fact that he did it and he got going that he, you know, and now he's just going to improve. He's just going to continue, you know, building on what he learned and, and improving. So when you, you're right, when you coach the metric, when you coach the number, you know, hey, you're, you're down this much, like, you know, what, what's your plan that, you know, it's like, oh, listen, what is, what are, what is the behaviors that are contributing to what's going on? Well, let, let's, let's look at those things, but you can't do that. You can't do that unless you have a connection first. Connection comes first. You have, you know, and that's hard to learn. It's hard. It's hard for me. Connection has to come first. Then you can ask about the behaviors. Um, but you know, then you have to be open to 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 what are the objections of that? Like there are, you know, the first time you tell a bunch of text, you know, hey guys, I'd really like your role play. Yeah, right. And you got to model it. So. Yeah. Wow. I, I just I just want to say, Rob, this has been a really wonderful conversation. Just talking about coming to your own uh, in a family business and all of the lessons that you learned. So I just want to pause right here and just say thank you for being so. You're red. You may not be vulnerable, but you were very vulnerable here, and I learned a lot. There's a bunch of other directions we could go. But I think where I want to end this is really talking about the family dynamics in the business. Because I know over the hundred years of the business being in business, we've had family members come in and out, uh, leave, stay, all that stuff. And what would you like to share with our listeners, many of whom are in family businesses themselves, about what you've learned with family dynamics and 
how to kind of navigate that and some of that crunchiness that comes up with egos and wants and, you know, different opinions and all that kind of stuff. I am the second youngest grandchildren out of 12 grandchildren, the second youngest grandchild out of 12 grandchildren. My grandfather had four children. Each one of them had a child in the business. So there was four of us who are cousins. Um, that's a big question because every family is a little bit, you know, they all have their own ways about them. We were blessed by being connected with a, a, a lawyer, like a, a transitional lawyer, my dad and my uncle sought out, who was with a, a, an organization called CAFE, it's for Canadian Association of Family Enterprises, and I believe that's the acronym. And so it's about, you know, how you transition a family business correctly. You know, we still didn't do it 100% right. Uh, I don't know if there is a 100% right way, to be quite honest with you, but I would say, the biggest thing that you'd want to do is you definitely want to identify the roles and responsibilities. You want to you want to be able to identify the founders' values. So the values that Dad and Uncle Roy and Grandpa had. Like we have a we're very blessed to be able to have connection with my dad and my uncle who understood the values of my grandfather. Now, they did not unfortunately get to, to meet their grandfather. He passed away before they were born. But there's a there's a value system. So what are your values as a company? What are your values as a family? Because I think every family business has its own DNA. And I think that um, if you try to get out of that DNA, it tends to break down a little bit. So what are your values as your family? And then be really as, as much as possible, try to be really specific about the roles that you're filling and who is filling what and who is responsible for what. If you don't do that and you've got a bunch of family coming in as ownership, you're just going to have fights. You really are going to have a lot of struggle. So try to set clear expectations of who's doing what and who's responsible for what. That is really important. As it relates to having a conversation, my dad and my uncle and my cousin John and myself, we're kind of the four owners and we generally, like we'll meet once a quarter or whatever and, and just talk. Uh, they've been phenomenally good. They were good to me. They did not try to hamper me and handcuff me in any way. Uh, they didn't generally work against me. There were some challenges, of course, you know, different, different views of where we should go, but, um, you know, I remember coming to them and talking about not, not doing on-call anymore, you know, and they're like, what are you talking about? You know, we always do on-call. In fact, grandpa ran from Monday till Saturday at three, and then it was just on-call for emergencies until Monday. And, and I'm like, yeah, but the business world is changing and uh, we need to, we need to get with the program. So, you know, there are squabbles that you're going to have. There are, you know, they're not, try, try not to, to make them personal try to make them more about the business and what's going on in the business side of things. Um, John and I have agreed that we, we're not gonna, and this, I don't take this the wrong way, but we're not gonna work with our wives. Uh, we love our wives. We love them dearly, <laughs> dearly. But, uh, but if I worked with my wife all day long and then uh, I went home uh, with, uh, it, 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 could, it could cause problems. So um, she's, out, you know, at, at, like I live about 30 minutes away from the office at 30, 40 minutes. And um, I need that separation and it's nice. And so, um, so, you know, we, we, 
we communicate, communication is important. If you don't communicate, then you start building factions against factions and uh, it's not healthy. So keep communicating, make sure everybody knows what their role is, where they, where they fit within the organization. Make sure that people have an accountability level to what they need to do. Um, we didn't, there's some things we didn't do really well. And then understand that not everybody's going to work well together. Like my cousin Roy was great. I love my cousin Roy. He's a smart guy. He worked, he came in in 91. You know, I'm the young whippersnapper. They say that, you know, there's the saying that, you know, a prophet can't be a prophet in his own country. And of course, you know, when you, when you come in as the young grandchild and you're like, hey, we're going to change everything that you're ever used to, that's big. Roy stuck it out with me for a long time, but we just didn't see eye to eye. And, and that was cool. And he moved on and I, I wish him all the best in the world. There are going to be people who don't, you know, mesh and gel. So it is going to happen. It's tough even in family because there's a tense tenseness there. But, um, but at the end of the day, if you get those things set out and you get them documented and, and everybody kind of knows what they're responsible for, it just makes things a lot nicer. You know, I will, my desire is to do that. You know, if my kids decide to come in, um, I want to be able to identify their strengths and their limitations and guide them in a way, you know, that they can use their strengths. Like you said, right? The, the one child, you know, lives with the other child and they kind of adopt different strengths and weaknesses. That's totally true with my son, Tyler, and my daughter, Kara. You know, my son, Tyler, he, he's, you know, he's a great kid. He, he'll work hard and, you know, but, uh, you know, he doesn't have the same strengths as Kara does, whereas Kara doesn't have some of the same strengths he does. So um, putting, understanding where they best fit and, and, uh, and if they want it, you know, like you got to get it, you've got to want it, and you got to have the capacity to do it. And uh, don't put somebody who doesn't have the capacity to do something in a role that they can't, they either don't want or they don't get because it's just going to drive frustration in them. So have open conversations. Do you want this? Do you do you have the capacity? Does everybody feel that way? And make sure you take a long time. Like this is not a one month thing. Like we, this is this is like a good year or two of transition. So don't think you can just transition in six months. It's just not. Uh, it, it will leave a lot and and again if we're talking about the people my dad and my uncle they didn't just drop me they didn't just install me and then leave they stuck around they agreed to allow me to be that leader but they stuck around and they stuck around because they cared about the team that they had and they wanted to see it they, they had the you know they had the, the the vision and wisdom to understand that there were going to be some that left but they wanted to make sure that i was treating them like I was trying to treat them the way that I was supposed to. And then they would pull me up on the carpet if I screwed up and that was okay. You know, it was, it was, it, it was needed. <laughs> what a fantastic answer to a very broad question, Rob, seriously. Um, this has been a wonderful study in how to come into your own at a family business. And again, I just want to thank you. Really gave some awesome, thoughtful answers. I have a couple rapid questions uh i didn't give to you beforehand are you ready uh would you mind answering them sure all right ready um how do you take your coffee i don't drink coffee oh okay if you could have dinner with one person dead or alive who would it be oh one person (laughs) dead or alive um oh man i had a conversation
individual, one person dead or not. I don't know, pass. I'll come back to that one. Okay. What's the number one thing you're trying to learn about right now? Oh, uh, right now I joined up for the John Maxwell team. I, I want to be a John Maxwell team member. So um, I'm actually indulging in, in all of his training. It's, it's amazing. If money weren't an object, so you have unlimited resources, what's the first thing you would do? The first thing I would do, if money was an object, I'll be, I'll be honest with you, if money was an object, the first thing I'd do is just pay off my house. Like if I had an unlimited amount of money, I'd just, I'd just pay off my house. And then, um, man, I would probably do something to, to coaching and mentoring, uh, you know, just being able to help people in this industry, people who kind of like me, similar, you know, family businesses, you know, hey, what's your struggle? Like, how can I help you, you know, set up, set up something where, where we could just, um, I love communicate like communing with people and uh, and talking. So um, I would I would love to help people. I would just I would just help I would help people. Nice. What podcast or book recommendations would you like to give the audience? There's all sorts of good ones. I like I just said Maxwell. So anything Maxwell, anything Simon Sinek. Good to great traction for your business traction. Uh, we've been going through traction hard lately, so it's it's been a great one. Gino Wickman, yeah, uh, and uh, Kerwin Ray. I watch Kerwin Ray a lot. He's a guy out of Australia. Uh, I love him. Just I, I've done his uh, Nail It and Scale It series. Just a really great guy. So uh, if you pick him up on on uh, Instagram or whatever, short little vignettes, good stuff. Nice. And finally, what's the number one thing every contractor must do to run a successful business? Pray. <laughs> That's the first one. That's the first answer. That was I never heard that one before. Um, Pray. You got you 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 gotta pray, man. Like I, I think I think the answer to that question about who I'd have dinner with is Jesus, because there's a lot of questions, a lot of questions that I have, and and I do a lot of praying. So um, <laughs> pray. Amazing, Rob. Thank you so much for your time on Toolbox for the Trades. I really enjoyed this interview. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Are you looking to build a top tier service company? Service Titans Contractor Playbook is a handy guide to help you get where you want to go. Authored by the industry's greatest minds, this free all-in-one playbook will help you set your company up for success. Learn how to provide excellent customer service, establish your company's culture, market to new and existing customers, and more. Just go to servicetitan.com slash get playbook to access the free digital guide. That's servicetitan.com slash get playbook. Thank you so much for listening to Toolbox for the Trades. To make sure you never miss an episode, be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you use Apple Podcast, we'd love if you open the app and leave us a rating. Just tap the number of stars you think the show deserves. See you next time.